Hello and welcome back to the Arbitration Station. My name is Brian Kodak and I will be joining you solo today to introduce what we are going to call the ECA mini-series. In between or during the hiatus of between our two seasons, we are going to periodically be releasing some interviews that we conducted during ECA Edinburgh 2022, Arbitration's Age of Enlightenment. The organizers, the Scotland Arbitration Centre, were so kind to invite us as media sponsors for the event, and part of our media sponsorship included interviewing some of the panel speakers to give an insight on what was discussed during these panels for those that either couldn't attend the conference or couldn't attend a specific panel that happened. The first interview that we're going to be giving and publishing to our listeners was panel eight. It was called Regional Themes, Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Dynamism and Consolidation. And for this panel, we decided to interview Professor Amelia Oniema of SOAS University here in London. Um, She was tasked with the large um, presentation of presenting the developments in Africa and the significant reforms of the civil justice system that are necessary to render arbitration more effective and to integrate international best practices. I'm not going to delve into exactly what was discussed because we really want you to listen to this interview as we found it both inspirational and insightful. So without further ado, here is Professor Amelia Oniema. things for us to really critically think about, especially yesterday I thought that was going to come up when we came up at the end, when we're talking about costs, the panel, Diamana's panel, which I thought was very good, a very good panel, Yes, uh, talking about cost. And then the way we run international arbitration, especially international investment arbitration, is almost you challenge jurisdiction, Mm -hmm. you have to have experts. And then, you know, you go through the normal exchange of documents and blah, 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 and all of that. And it's almost become a, a different type of process that we sort of try to make a little bit more complicated. And all of that is adding up to costs. Mm-hmm. Experts, huge costs. And I'm like, do you really need all of these experts? No. <laughs> and so it appears as though we are creating jobs for people, uh, for parties to pick up mm-hmm. the bill. And then in investment, who are these parties? States. Mm-hmm. And really, that can't possibly be right. Mm-hmm. It can't possibly be right at some point. And then you get the third party funders who come into the fray. They're businesses, that's what they are, you know? And so it's like, don't worry, we'll fund it. And you're, we're, almost, we're almost getting a refrain that if you have very good lawyers, that equates to very expensive lawyers. Yeah. Oh, you so don't... there's just something not right mm-hmm. about some of those narratives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking a lot about um, training also, mm. uh, about how to build capacity. You were mentioning it because I'm talking about this because you were talking about the costs of mm. lawyer. Um, 
is is the is the view then that you know training more African lawyers in a, you know as a, as a continent and, for, and again I, in fact I wanted to maybe start with that forgive me for using the term because I get I get hate from my friends when I say when I say Africa they're like why do you say Africa Africa is a huge continent you know um, it, it's it's different regions different yeah. cultures uh, several mm-hmm. different languages yeah do, do you agree with that because every time we talk about um, arbitration um, and, and arbitrators mm-hmm. uh, we frame it as Africa so, yeah. it's hardly ever you know sometimes you say East Africa yes. yeah. but um, is, is that something that I, boils I think, your blood as well or? No, no in the sense that <clears throat> using the, the word mm-hmm. or you know the Africa uh, using yeah. Africa or the African continent right right I yeah. think it just means that for me the way I conceive of it is we have similar problems Yes. And limitations. Yeah, yeah. But you're absolutely right. We're very, very different. Mm -hmm. And so you can... Let me just give you a simple example. Mm -hmm. You you think of the Nigerians. Mm -hmm. The Nigerians are very, very different Mm -hmm. from maybe um, uh, Anglophone Africa. Yes. Where all the West Africa, you know, Francophone Africa. Mm -hmm. The sort of capacity that you have in Nigeria, the quality of legal services Mm -hmm. that you would get in Nigeria with the top firms in Nigeria is comparative to whatever you have anywhere else. And yet you have some African countries that don't have little to nothing on the ground. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's important when we say we have 91 arbitration centers, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and we do have countries that have no unknown center, not even a law firm Mm -hmm. saying Mm -hmm. we do, you know, you can use our officers or provide this facility. Mm -hmm. Least of all, we administer arbitrations. It doesn't mean arbitration isn't happening. Mm. But we don't know what is happening. Yes. And that is the problem. Right. For me, anyway, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. And which is why I think that we need to support and grow the institutional arbitration piece. Because what that would do for us is we can then ensure we develop practice. Mm-hmm. It's qualitative. We have data. Mm-hmm. We know who is doing what. Mm-hmm. We can share experiences. We have an umbrella organization that we can do that through with the arbitration centers and we get the arbitration centers to work together and talk to each other. Mm-hmm. But if everybody is doing ad hoc, mm-hmm. we don't know what is going on. Mm-hmm. And some of the figures I hear, I'm like, even if you were doing an ICC arbitration, you're not going to get that kind of money. In those, uh, you're saying, sorry, in those arbitral institutions on the no, continent? No, outside of the oh, arbitration oh, institutions. Okay, doing ad hoc arbitration. Doing ad hoc arbitration. So, so a place yes, like absolutely. Nigeria, for example, mm-hmm. you'd find domestic arbitrations in the region of billions, and they're pure domestic arbitrations. Mm. Wow. They're not done under any institution. And so you find maybe three random senior lawyers. Uh, if you're lucky, one or two might have done good, you know, some arbitration yes. in the past, and then they charge maybe 10%. How do you charge like that? Yeah. But there's no oversight. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the clients, this is not legal costs, mm-hmm. because we know that international legal costs is the thing, not the fees of the arbitrators. But so if you have a dispute of, let's say, $2 billion, and the arbitrators are saying you're paying us 300 million. Mm-hmm. 
how do you want the client you haven't the client hasn't even factored in the people who do the work which is their lawyers and counsel how how are you arriving at that sort of figure which again interests and so that's part of the pushback we're getting when we keep we're pushing for institutional references move towards institutional arbitration so that we can know what's going on yes the the institutions can have proper oversight mm-hmm. of what's going on it will save clients tons of money right you know and we're getting pushback because people are making from from doing this arbitration mm-hmm. and that's for me it's the wrong incentive mm-hmm. you know if you want to if you're looking for money go and to council work mm-hmm. you know you not sit as an arbitrator that's mm-hmm. what i say and so different places in south africa that's not their problem mm. because afsa is being strong from domestic arbitration so that is it, they have a diff, completely different problem vast majority of most places on the continent are just basically trying to grow this mm-hmm. so different parts of the continent have different problems i think that's really important even whether it's the laws engagement practitioners those who have experience who can run arbitrations it also differs mm-hmm. across the continent mm-hmm. so you're right from that perspective it would be wrong for us to sort of lump everybody together mm-hmm. but uh, a shorthand way of saying arbitration in africa is that they shared problems mm-hmm. they are they're shared problems they are they are shared problems and it seems like you, when you have uh, conferences or discussions yes. about especially about ISDS as yes. well and the reform yes you wouldn't understand why they wouldn't speak up as a as a unity yeah. you know as though the African Union sh- should should you know have yeah. A, mm. yeah. okay so if you if you think about investments and think about the South Africans just look at intra-Africa mm. movement yeah. of funds yes Nigeria South Africa uh, Morocco mm-hmm. capital exporting yes. within the continent right which is one of the difficulties we ha- we have with our, uh, with um, investment international investment law is well you when you sort of you are capital exporting you see the benefits of the FETs yes, and all of absolutely. that yeah and when you're capital importing you want to protect yourself yes uh, but you're not going to sign two treaties to say <laughs> when we are capital exporting, this one applies. When no, and the good thing, in my view, of Vatum for Acme and all of mm-hmm. those cases is that those countries that are traditionally capital exporting are beginning to get a feel mm-hmm. for how this can fight. Yes. And so what I'm hoping is that states can see that they have more in common than what divides them. Mm-hmm. That is really not about, oh, let's protect. Mm-hmm. We would always be capital exporting because those lines are becoming a little bit blurred. Yes. And we're going to get more of that when we talk about especially renewable energy. We're going to get really... Yes with environmental questions mm-hmm. and all of those we're going to get a lot more mm-hmm. arbitrations against developing uh, against developed 
countries, countries. Yeah. which is why again we're getting this pushback and the noises yes mm-hmm. getting louder and, and so so for me for african countries when it comes to isds the problem for me is not isds i think we need to step back which is why i'm really very much interested in the advisory center but more even before and uh, what I, my view is why are we getting sued mm-hmm. you know you need to ask yourselves what what exactly are we not getting right mm-hmm. and it's simple it's simply because most of those those governments government officials feel I'm the government mm-hmm. I can sign the contract I don't like your face anymore I can cancel the contract mm-hmm. and that's the culture and so we need to help the governments and the government officials and the sub officials and sub nationals and all of that agencies to understand no you can't do that mm-hmm. which they don't understand mm-hmm. and so p and id you get the file you throw it in the cupboard throwing locking it up in the cupboard doesn't solve the problem mm-hmm. time is counting against you but the minister has no clue that anything had been found and nobody gets punished mm-hmm. so it's a different problem uh, i believe that what we need to be pushing from what we need to be working towards is how do we avoid disputes in the first place right so so what patients was talking about yes. we want legitimate investment blah blah blah, blah. great mm-hmm. but all of that is on paper mm-hmm. But when you attract the right sort of investment for you, mm. remember that the investor is not a charity. The investor is not there to buy disputes. That's mm-hmm. not the primary interest of the investor. The investor wants to do business, make profit, do business in peace and quiet, make their money and do whatever it is they're doing. Which means that what the investor is looking for is for the government to create an enabling and live up to the promises they've made and get on with it. Mm. So it's, the government is not buying disputes. The investor is not buying disputes. But the government doesn't understand that. So it's that living in the, in the times of I'm the sovereign. We now have a king. <laughs> but but at the same time, I, I, I completely get your point. But another um, thing that was discussed earlier was you you, you said it actually. You're you're getting to it. Is the why are why are they getting sued? Mm. Identify governmental mm. action. But it also depends on the obligations on the yes. state, right? Yeah. And 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 we are seeing. I, I I don't think I heard that this morning that clearly. But the truth is, and you know that, that um, treaties are being reformed. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, we're not getting to the le- the pace that we want, probably. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, um, and here I'm I'm not I'm not taking any position. I'm just saying if I put the the state's uh, cap on right yeah. now, a state would say, well, you know what? Um, in in Europe, right now they're being extremely protectionist. Yeah. Um, you know the there's the ECT modernization mm-hmm. reform going yes. on. Yes. Um, why can't we as African states, you know, have the same? You know, the state right 
to regulate and protect our environment. You were talking about environmental claims and all mm -hmm. of this. And um, okay, sure, we'll respect our, our, <laughs> our obligations, but we have also the right to, to regulate if we need to. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and you were talking about the right type of investment you want. Yeah. Well, they're saying we want sustainable investment. Um, so if the investor is not behaving in accordance to our law or environmental code or whatever, legislation mm -hmm. uh, then we're not going to give it protection so you, you, do you see that I, also? I agree and, and, mm -hmm. and we, that came through well bits of it mm -hmm. came through mm -hmm. this morning mm -hmm. before the mobile guy yes yes yeah, exactly and, <laughs> and, 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 Tom. yeah yeah you know and the point is simply this and i've also written i've published on this yes you have yeah. the fact for me what i published was all of this procedural reforms that's really not what the problem is yeah but these are and substantive reforms yeah, yeah exactly you know, yeah. yeah mic having an mic yeah no is i not, agree that, that's not the core that's problem. right that's right because a judge and an arbitrator they do the same thing in the sense that they need to interpret the particular treaty before mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. and so whether it's a judge or an arbitrator it is what you have promised to provide yes. that they will have to interpret. Right. So that the problem for me is not that. Mm -hmm. It's good work that Working Group 3 is doing and maybe something we need, fine. Uh, but all of that is, is the foliage. The root is what promises are you making. Mm -hmm. And so just think with me and think about Libya mm -hmm. at some stage. We didn't even know which one was the legitimate government in Libya. The state could not even provide security for itself because we didn't know who was who or for its citizens. And yet we have awards, investment awards, against Libya on the basis of their promise to provide full protection and security. How do you provide full protection and security mm -hmm. in that sort of case? Mm -hmm. And so the other example is the greatest problem we have, I'm Nigerian, we have in Nigeria, in Nigeria now is insecurity through actions of non-state parties mm -hmm. that the state cannot seem to be able to deal with. Mm -hmm. And the, in the treaties that Nigeria has signed, it has promised full protection and security. But Nigeria cannot. It's not rocket science. You don't need, just look out of your window, Nigeria cannot provide full protection and security. Mm -hmm. So if any investor decides I'm bringing an investment claim because my people have been kidnapped or whatever, you know, and you have not provided us with full protection and security, it's not rocket science. Nigeria definitely will be liable because mm -hmm. that's a promise you've mm -hmm. made. Mm -hmm. And so w the way I'm rethinking this is each state, we've gotten to the point, we have so much knowledge, thanks to uh, investment awards, we have an idea of how these things are being interpreted. That it's, for me, I think each state needs to step back and say, what do I need? I think patients was trying what said something to that effect. And ONTAD is done an IISD, the Sustainable Development Institute, they've done a lot of 
groundwork or mm-hmm. cities don't some work as well to say okay we want sustainable development what does that mean mm-hmm. how are we going to measure that in what sectors in other words just like social media the internet is great and social media you can post whatever you want but it means that responsibility lies on you because the information is out there what you do with that information so we're just saying to states just think for yourselves what do you need mm-hmm. you don't need investment in every area so you can curtail the investment in what if it's greenfield investment what type of investment you want you can put it there if we're not clear on how we we're going to interpret fair and equitable treatment you can either delete that but if you're deleting that what else what are you promising to the investor so i think and that's why for me we need substantive reforms Mm -hmm. We need root and branch. We need to uproot it. Yes. And why I think we also need to uproot it is that if you look at the bilateral investment treaties, the purpose, the end goal is protection of the investor. Mm. And that's why we have all those standards. And that's why we have, you know, a one-sided relationship or agreement. Everything to protect the investor, no obligations on the investors and things like that. That's beginning to shift a little. But that's simply because the purpose is the protection of the investor going back to diplomatic protection, going back to protection of the alien, mm-hmm. going, mm-hmm. this is the your Portuguese coming into this very dark black rivers or waters the way Danga described it this morning, mm-hmm. where the hand of the devil can yes. snatch your life. So you need that protection. Yeah. But the clouds have parted. We can all see. Mm-hmm. You have information. So why do you still need that protection? Well, exactly, because there are cases that say that the what the state of the state of play is in the country when the investor invested needs mm-hmm. to play a role in how you decide what the promise was. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But mm-hmm. things have shifted. Mm-hmm. So now you know what the law is. Now you can find local lawyers that you can work with if you don't know what it is you're doing. Most of these investors and their CEOs, Shell, Mobile, all of those people, have direct access to precedents of these countries. So why do they still need protection? Why is the goal of investment law, international investment law, the protection of the foreign investor and not mm-hmm. creating an enabling environment for the foreign investor to go in and do business well because the um <clears throat> when you talk about the rationale uh, about this there's still they still talk about and that's what bits are called right it's like promotion attraction of investment right um and so they're trying to attract attract investments and mm-hmm. it seems like the um the, the leverage, I also thought that maybe the leverage has shifted, but you still have a lot of African, you know, uh, states where they're, they're eager to, to attract mm-hmm. investors. Well, who tells them that? 
Yeah, that's that's so the world right, right. tells you if you attend any of these ancestral yeah meetings uh, and you know you have those world bank people you're going to sit there scratching your head and like I hope I'm not going to pass out before the end of this <laughs> meeting because the the world bank continues to and such banks who are meant to help them with their development and these governments listen to those people continue to drum it and of course we continue to promote and scream you need invest you need foreign you investment, need investment you need, to develop you need, you yeah. need foreign investment mm -hmm. i think that's a wrong message mm -hmm. and so everybody is saying <clears throat> this is a beauty parade pick me pick me pick me if you're shell and the lineup of all the countries saying pick me pick me they do not have hydrocarbons you have no business with them. You're moving them regardless of how attractive they are because you're not interested. Yes? Mm -hmm. and, and so, so we need to think, rethink that message. So for me, when we talk about strengthening state institutions and institutions on the continent are quite very weak, very, very weak. And so if we're thinking of strengthening institutions on the continent, the question is not or you desperately need foreign investment. No. The question for me, the narrative is, I have raw materials. You have technology on how to exploit this raw materials. I do not have the technology of how to exploit mm -hmm. this material. How can we work together? Because that is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so, so saying, oh, I'm going to give you this. I'm not going to change my law. How do you say to anybody mm -hmm. in a fast-moving world, I would change my law for 20 years? How do you say that? Interestingly, you know what? I'm not, um, I've never worked at World Bank and I'm not defending the World Bank or not defending the World Bank. I just <laughs> wanted to clarify. But there's an article by um, someone working in the World Bank, so, yes. so it's World Bank endorsed, yeah. where they were saying, in fact... Exactly what you were saying is that we you you don't need to negotiate stabilization clause because especially in the extractive industry, yeah. Um, because an investor is already is coming in. What is the extractive industry? You come in, you get the gold, and the gold then is gone. Yeah. Right. So for the state, it's like you know why do you need to give more incentive to an investor to come in and get your. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was interesting yeah. because it was coming from the, from, World, from Bank, the World Bank, and, yes. and still yet today, and in our practice, I'm sure you see that, you see yeah. that, is, yeah. uh, you still have those contracts with yes. stabilization clauses yeah. in the extractive industry, yes. and states are still negotiating those, and they still yes. think they need that in order for them to come in and, and to attract. So it's a yes. very good, good but, but point. Which yeah. is really worrying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my view is, again, most developing, most African countries, Right. The fact that somebody works with the government doesn't mean that they came top of their class. And that is something really, um, you know, you, you want to be very proud of the fact that you work for the government. So, mm -hmm. so we need to be realistic with the quality of, 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 of or the capacity of those people that work for governments the civil servants a civil servant the mentality is very different and so so we also need to understand that we then also need to understand the views of the politicians 
because the politicians play a strong role. Some of these uh, government lawyers, you'll be shocked when they sort of tell you some of their own experiences. They have no oversight of these contracts, especially concession contracts, and somebody, the minister has gone off, signed it and dumps it on their on their mm-hmm. table, so they have not received legal advice, not because they, there is no legal advice available mm-hmm. or capacity, but nobody has bothered to mention it or to engage with it, or it's not been in negotiation mm-hmm. as such. I think that um, those companies are actually shooting themselves in the foot mm-hmm. when they do that. And you, you, you use your own influence and you throw a contract that is heavily one-sided and whatever the influence you have with the minister or whoever, and you get them to sign. I think it's important that people ask themselves, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> it can't just be about US dollars or, or you know, whatever the value of the, you know, the type of currency. That How do you literally sleep at night because it would go wrong at some point Mm -hmm. again i would take a country like nigeria because why nigeria for me is a good case study Mm -hmm. is that the the trajectory is almost you can almost map it and it's the same so you have a new government comes in everything goes falls apart and then you start afresh and then all of this investors will sue the country the country never ever it's either they will if you manage to get through an arbitration get an award they will fight you all the way they they, they don't pay uh, and then the, at some point maybe after 10 years or 20 years when everybody is tired they desert like, why are you putting yourself through all of that yeah it just makes it counterproductive. I think they they also need to see it that way. That if I draw up a fair contract, concession mm-hmm. agreement at the end of the day is a contract. Yeah. A fair contract. I would actually benefit more from it. And I think one of the guys yesterday said something to that effect about the compliment, the best compliment he got as a transactional uh, lawyer that the terms of the contract he had drafted were so clear mm-hmm. uh, that you know they didn't have disputes otherwise you now when they had disputes they could easily settle mm-hmm. their disputes so there is we need to understand i think both sides mm-hmm. need to understand what they're getting themselves into but my major concern is with on the side of the states and is we we need to find creative ways of engaging with colleagues that work with governments and where those that actually have the power, which is the politicians who have the power to mm-hmm. make these decisions, helping them to understand the impact of the decisions they make. And then the, um, the constituent, Nigeria is a federation, for example, the, the state governments and local governments and all of that, helping them to understand how they fit into that jigsaw and it's a whole. And so you can go off and borrow money that the federal government has no clue what you've done, but 
if you don't pay up, the whole country will be sued. Mm -hmm. There's 10 billion of PNID is coming out from the country. Mm -hmm. When they were busy doing the uh, applications and all of that, nobody knew about that arbitration. There was something I wanted to say about the transparency and mm -hmm. uh, confidentiality yeah. point because it, it was because um, PNID pursued enforcement that was how we saw. Out. Yeah, that yeah. was how we we saw the award. That was how we read the award, mm -hmm. and we're like, how, you know? And and so, but but the point for me is that states need to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. States need to think for themselves substantively. What are we promising? Can we deliver? I went to one of these investment road shows. I think mm -hmm. it was the Republic. Congo mm -hmm. and the ministers were there mm -hmm. I don't even think they had legal counsel with them mm -hmm. and it was and I think those presentations actually come up in cases as yeah. evidence of what the investors expected mm -hmm. and it was just facts on how much copper they had how much silver they had we have no corruption we'll sign on the dotted line mm -hmm. it wasn't very um yeah yeah it was it was just kind of like a going into a shop and you can pick off the shelf what you want and you're more than welcome to come in and we'll yeah. be happy to have you but I'm wondering, is the is it a luxury to for the governments to make these considered decisions in which investments they they allow into their country? I feel like a, maybe a country like the Republic would just want whatever comes first, and whoever will decide to invest. Well, it should be the the country should be able to ask itself, what do we have? Because don't forget, that most likely is the World Bank telling them what they have anyway, or some foreign person <laughs> telling them that the geo whatever has said you have XYZ copper, or what, and they really do not know. Mm -hmm. So if the states can at least do some forensic work on what do we have, mm -hmm. how do we want to exploit mm -hmm. our resources? The US has hydrocarbons they, they have or they're not exploiting it at the same rate mm -hmm. as you know Nigeria or Saudi and all of that and they have their reasons and so so it's just saying to states you need to make an informed decision that's yeah. all we're saying mm -hmm. and your decision can backfire it can be wrong but at least you've talked about it you learn from it you reform mm -hmm. you, it has to be a it has to be continuous reform. And one of the problems in places like uh, the Congo and DRC is we, we talk about corruption, but I think it goes beyond corruption to lack of understanding. Yeah. So, so, so you know, I can have this huge diamond not the one on Queen Elizabeth's crown. <laughs> I, can, I can have this huge diamond. It's a find. I've seen it. I don't know what it is. Well, I don't, what, the value. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I haven't placed any value to it. Mm. But you know how valuable it is. Then you come along and you go like, hmm. it has some, some value. I can take it off you. And he goes, oh, I've seen your iPhone. This looks really shiny and nice. You're like, you can have that iPhone. 
that's fine. I can take this. Right. right. <laughs> that's where they are at. And it goes back to um, some form of the inequity of international pricing systems for commodities. So yes, I have the copper, but I don't set the price. Mm. I don't say. It is my property, yes, because it was found there. But I don't set the value, the price. Mm -hmm. Somebody else does that for me. Mm -hmm. And so I can't even appreciate the value of what I have. And so it's more like, oh, the iPhone is shiny. Let me get the iPhone and then you can take this. I think people like the World Bank should be helping these countries understand the value. Because it's not just uh, resources for themselves. It's for the benefit of the whole world. Mm -hmm. That's where we are at. So they need to, and help to, they need to understand the value and help them also understand that it, you can have slow releases and then monitor this money Okay, the income, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to, is it going to be able to, are you going, can you exploit that mm -hmm. to, to create more value, to create more wealth, help people to think in, 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 that, uh, in that way? I went to Conakry, Conakry, Guinea. Mm -hmm. Guinea is one of the most sued Africans. Yeah. I don't think they're learning anything anyway. From, from those uh, cases against them. It is, I, I mean, I grew up in Nigeria. I, um, the, uh, it's true that even though I grew up in Lagos, there are parts of Lagos I've never been to. But this was the capital of Guinea. I, I came out of that, uh, just stepping out, getting to the airport, I just could not believe what I saw and smelled. Hmm. It was just smelling poverty. It was such a slum. It was dirty. I grew up in Lagos. There are parts of Lagos that I know I have never been to that people talk about. They don't smell that bad. This is the state capital. Mm -hmm. And on the ride to the, to the hotel, I mean, everything was just so shocking. The poverty. Yet... Guinea has is one of the most resourced. Yeah, in copper, right? Yes. Yeah. African countries. Yeah. But do you explain that because of because I've read some papers on this and some some <sighs> criticized the government's actually corruption because they were doing a correlation between the amount of copper they mm -hmm. had and the the percentage of of, of um, um, you know taxes paid mm -hmm. by those investors yeah. on the copper and it was not equivalent at all. So the the you know, the fiscal revenue of, of, of Guinea is very, very low. Yes. And so they're putting it on the state as why do you negotiate those contracts and, you know, again, big question mark on corruption yeah. and so on and so forth. So we call it corruption. Mm. And so it makes it sound like, mm. oh, this is really criminal, dirty. Mm -hmm. But it's loss of value or mm -hmm. lack of value. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a civil way of looking at it. You, you have something that is valuable, that can lift your people, that can transform your, your whole country. It can't transform your country. But what value 
So there isn't any value. Mm-hmm. And you know, if we talk about corruption and you sort of think about it, and sometimes I, I say, how much is enough? What do you do with it? You buy luxury goods of brands. You have no clue where the brand is located and you know how they make those things. And so mm-hmm. these are perishable things. Mm-hmm. And so, so I don't understand, which is why for me, I think that the government officials, because unfortunately, you know, it's still the government officials, uh, need some serious shaking up. Because if they can get the value that the states and the impact of their mm-hmm. decisions, I think they would have, they may, let's not say would, but they may be in a stronger bargaining position. But on the other side of the coin is the foreign investor. The foreign investor should not come in with, I'm going to make as much killing as I possibly can. Because whether you like it or not, whether you can see it or not, you're contributing to the global poverty numbers that Mm -hmm. we have. You're contributing to those children who have no parents because they've died early or children who are diseased Mm -hmm. simply because, you know, the state is taking away monies that should have been used for for their developmental needs. Whether we want to accept it or not, those foreign investors and their advisors are part of they, they have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so when you're watching the TV and then you see World Vision or one of those strange adverts that tell you about people without water and how many children are going to die every minute and I'm like, how many are we giving birth to every minute <laughs> that we still have so many people? Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, realistically, any foreign investor seeing that should know that they are the ones responsible for those actions because they're enablers. Mm-hmm. We well, can keep talking. Oh, have you been yeah, recording can... all this while? Great. Anyway, you're going to edit. Yes. I think we've yes. spent more than 30 well, minutes. Well, thank Sorry. you very much, Professor Anuma, for uh, your enlightening discussion. We loved your panel. We loved having you here. Thank uh, you. Everything you saw. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. <laughs> I know. I've I've been, I didn't I've even get trying. to the points <laughs> I wanted to discuss. One of the things you said at the panel uh, that you ended up with was uh, when there's someone brilliant out there on the continent or from originally on the continent you should speak up and say that they're great so i'm here speaking up and saying how amazing (laughs) professor onyema is she's a great professor i'm an amazing practitioner you're you give a lot of trainings you're heading to kigali aren't you for the uh, kigali arbitration center uh, conference Uh, that's just uh, little things that uh uh, Professor Onyema does, but thank you again for thank your time. You. Thank, um, you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you Thanks. for the opportunity. Uh,